I wrestled last night. I've actually been wrestling all week, and I wrestled last night. I've been wrestling all morning with this message. It's going to be, how do you say this? Milk and very tough meat, if that tells you anything. Um, one side of it's going to be super easy for most here to understand, and the other side of it is going to be very tough chewing. That's all I can, the best way I, I can describe it. And so if I didn't believe the Holy Spirit could teach, we'd just go home right now, just because there's just be no point in it. And so I trust that he will use it this morning. I'd ask that you would ask him to use it this morning. Early last week, I was put into a situation where I thought I would have to describe myself to a bunch of people who don't know me. The majority of the people that I would be discussing this with would be unlike me in almost every aspect of life. And they would have almost no knowledge of the things of the Lord. A few of the things that I had done would have been a question mark in their mind, and it would have made no sense to them why I did what I did. And I was expecting them to maybe question me on it. And I was going to have to answer and explain to them, to people who have nothing, basically they're obviously unchurched people, I would have to explain to them, I'd have to describe myself and my actions. So I began debating in my own mind, anticipating that maybe this question would come up and I would have to answer. I began debating in my own mind how I would answer that question. And after some debate, I came to the decision that I would, dis I would answer the question by telling them that I am a lover of Jesus Christ. Now, the, as it turns out, no questions were voiced concerning my actions, and the conversation that I was anticipating never took place, at least in that form. But since that time, my mind has been having this conversation. It has been wrestling with that statement, and the wrestling is still taking place. What does it mean? to be a lover of Jesus Christ. If I just say those words, does that make it so? What does it mean to be a lover of Jesus Christ? Many of you here would use that same description for yourself. What does it mean? As I wrestled through the answer to that question, I began to put the answers down that I was coming up with on a piece of paper. And pretty soon I realized that I had outlined John chapter number 1. We've been in this passage a lot of times and we've actually been here fairly recently, but this morning I'm going to ask the Spirit of God to use this to teach us what it means to be a lover of Jesus Christ. Now in the auditorium this morning there is a great variety of people. Some are in church, maybe for the first time. Some basically grew up in the church. Some know very little of the Bible. Some know they would consider themselves almost, you've been studying it all your life, you know a lot about the Bible. 
Some here would call themselves lovers of Jesus Christ, and others aren't quite sure. I personally believe that if we would allow the Holy Spirit, He will teach us something. He will teach you something. He will move you forward. No matter where you find yourself this morning, the Lord can take you from where you're at and move you forward. The title of this morning's message is, Am I a Lover of Jesus Christ? Am I a Lover of Jesus Christ? Let's read John chapter number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear a witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received in grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Am I a lover of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, you know the difficulties that we face. We know you know the narrowness of our minds, and we ask that you by your spirit would speak through your word and draw us into truth. May each of us be lovers of our savior. For we ask this in his precious name. To be a lover of the Lord Jesus has got to be more than words and more than emotion. It has to have meaning to it. Words have meaning, and we can say words that we don't mean. The words have to have some context to them and a meaning. Am I a lover of Jesus Christ? They're easy words to say, but what do they mean? Are you a lover of Jesus Christ? If you say so, what do you mean by that? I find five answers from, from John chapter number one this morning. We'll look at them. Four of them are actually fairly simple. Number one, am I a lover of Jesus Christ? I believe, number one, I believe that Jesus Christ is God. I believe that Jesus Christ is God. In our world today, especially in the religious world, the name Jesus Christ is very common. In the United States, the public knowledge of the Lord Jesus is diminishing. But still, almost everybody has at least some knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. 
many of the religions today use the name of the Lord Jesus. They use his story, they use some of his teachings, they use parts of the Lord Jesus within their religion. There are all types of religious beliefs concerning Jesus Christ. Some, many, would claim a connection with the Lord Jesus. In all these different religions, many of them would claim a connection with Jesus Christ. But we have a major line in the sand that we can draw here. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? A person may claim connection to him. They may even quote his words. But do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? If you do not, then you are denying very clear teaching of the scriptures. We could go to dozens of verses here this morning uh, throughout the Bible, but John 1 has as clear a testimony as we need. Look at John chapter number 1, verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word. And you notice that word is capitalized word. That means it's a name. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. We find the Word and God together. They are, the Word is God. And verse number 14 tells us very specifically... And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. This is, my friend, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. The scriptures are very clear. Jesus, the Word, is God made flesh. You may claim to be a lover of Jesus Christ, but if you deny His deity, if you deny His Godship, then you are calling him a liar and placing yourself ahead of him. And that is not a lover of Jesus Christ. Are you a lover of Jesus Christ? Well, I believe that Jesus Christ is God. Number two, I believe that Jesus Christ is the creator of everything. I believe that Jesus Christ is the creator of everything. You know, there's lots of ideas about how we got here on the planet. If you knock out the really far-fetched ones like aliens brought us here and those kind of things, it really boils down to two basic beliefs in the world, creation and evolution. Now, many people on this, in this world believe, that, that believe in evolution because the school systems have decided to teach it as truths, and that's basically all they teach. And so many people believe the theory of evolution. Personally, there are, I, I, I don't have enough faith to believe in evolution. There are so many problems with it. There are so many things that just don't add up. To have a big bang that blows up and creates a perfect world is way too much for me to believe. It's way, it takes way too much faith to try to wrap my mind around an explosion creating life. It just is not practical. There's just way too many problems with that. But people do believe it because it is a very convenient thing to believe. If we evolved from a single cell amoeba that was created by an explosion, if we evolved from that, guess what? We are at the top of the food chain. 
we have we are on top we are much superior to the amoebas and everything else up to that point and we are at the top and there is nobody to tell us what to do and what not to do there is no standard for right and wrong other than what we create and there is no judgment afterward because there's nobody there to judge us this is a very convenient thing to believe it just doesn't happen to be the truth God created the world. And that was, my friend, Jesus Christ who did that. If you look at what the, the passage says, it's very clear. Talking about the word, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Psalm 100 verse 3 says it like this. Know ye the Lord that he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. There is a unique affinity and relationship between the creator and his creation. And a lover of Jesus Christ believes that he is God and believes that he is the creator of all things. Number three, as a lover of God, I be, uh, of a, as a lover of Jesus Christ, I believe that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. As a lover of Jesus Christ, I believe that he is the light of the world. And we discussed this at great length a few weeks or months ago, and I don't want to re-preach that entire message. But let's look at it briefly here. We live, I don't know if you notice this or not, in a dark, dirty place. If you don't believe that, if you don't know that, just turn on the news someday. We live in a dark, dirty place. A place that is so filled with sin that it has crept into every nook and cranny of the planet. And it is now a planet of sorrow and despair and hopelessness. It's all around us. Now, you would think that men would not like that. Now, the fact of the matter is they wish that their sin could produce joy, peace, and happiness. They wish it could. But since it can't, they'll stick with their sin. Men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. Man has chosen to live apart from God. He's chosen to disobey God. And it's the way it is. He likes the darkness that he lives in. He doesn't like the result of it, the sorrow and the despair and all of that. He wishes it could produce something better than that. But it doesn't. And so he'll stick with the sin because he loves the darkness. Jesus Christ, my friend, is the light. Light dispels darkness. Light reveals truth. Light shows us the way to go. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Verse number four. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. 
He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Are you a lover of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he is God? Do you believe that he is the creator? Do you believe he is the light of the world? Number four, as a lover of Jesus Christ, I believe that he is my Savior. I believe that he is my Savior. It, within every man, there is, unless he short-circuits it, a knowledge that there is an eternity and that there is a God. It's made within us intrinsically. We know this. We can short-circuit it, but we actually know it from the get-go. This is why that no matter where you go, whatever society you, found, you find, or and, and whatever civilization you discover, they always have a God that they have made, and there is always an afterlife. Always. Because within, we know these things are true. We may not know the truth of what, of what it is, but they, they know it, so they make something up to fill that void. We know that there is a God, and we know that there is an afterlife. There's something beyond this world. We just know it inside. Now, there's something else within man. The other thing that is within man is man likes to be independent. He doesn't like to be beholding to anyone. Do you guys know what that means? Do you young people know what it means to be beholding to anybody? Some of them do not know. How would you say that? To be indebted, you know that word, responsible. Beholding means you owe them something, okay? Man does not like to be indebted to anybody. He doesn't like to be responsible to anybody. He doesn't like to be beholden. He wants to make it on his own. So, when it comes to this afterlife that man knows is there, his plan to get there will always involve doing something. Do you, do you get, get where we're going here? He knows there's an afterlife, and so to get there, he knows he, his plan will involve earning that afterlife because he doesn't want to be beholding to anybody. He's got to do something. That's, that's how his plan will go. He'll have to do something. A good life will have to be lived. Good deeds will have to be done. He'll have positives and negative acts, and they're going to be required to have more positives than negatives. He's got to do the right thing. He's got to say the right thing. It's the man's plan. Justin sent me something the other day, just a short news clip of a church that you would know if I, if I mentioned it, who the guy in charge... At the, he was baptizing these people. He said the wrong words. He baptized them as infants, and he said the wrong words, and that invalidated all of those baptisms and everything that took place after that. Now, how would you like your eternity to rest on that? Some bumbling religious guy mumbles the wrong words, and you go and you lose eternity for it. 
What a mess. What a nightmare. But this is what man will always do. His plan will always involve saying the right thing, doing the right thing, and making sure you say and do a right enough of everything. The question, however, always lingers. Did I do enough? Did my good outweigh my bad? Did I do, impress the right people? Did I do, say the right things? There will always be the question, was it enough? But God's plan is entirely different. He knows that man has sinned. He knows that sin cannot get into heaven. And he knows that doing good deeds doesn't erase the bad ones. I don't know how we got this misconception in our mind that God was going to, if we did some good, it would, it would eliminate the bad. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. If I went out and robbed a bank this afternoon, and then I gave 75% of the money that I, that I got from the heist to needy people, would the judge or the bank care one way or the other? are going to haul me in and it doesn't matter what I did with the money. Even though I try to do all kinds of good with it, it's not going to make any difference in my sentence. I robbed the bank and that's the deal. Somehow we think that we can do these good things and that's going to erase the bad, but it never does. Doing good is good, but it doesn't erase bad. Man wants to earn his way to heaven and be beholding to nobody, but that isn't possible. Even Man's best actions are tainted by sin. He cannot earn his own way in. God knew this, and so his plan was different. He sent the Lord Jesus, just as this passage tells us. He became flesh and lived among us, and he lived perfectly. And after 33 years of living perfectly here on the earth, he died in my place. He took my sin, he took your sin upon him, and died in your place. Verse number 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Salvation is not by the works of man, it is by the finished work of Jesus Christ. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, which is you. Turn your Bible one page to, toward the back, actually maybe two pages in your Bible. Okay, my page is three pages. John chapter number three, verse number 36. It can't be said much better than this. John three thirty-six. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. My friend... Jesus Christ cannot be just a Savior. He cannot just be the Savior. He has to be your Savior. You have to take him as your Savior. It has to be personal. Are you a lover of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? Do you believe that he's creator? Do you believe he's the light of the world? Do you believe that he is your savior? For some of you this morning, what we've covered so far in these first four, 
first four points has been a struggle. You're still wrestling with them. You're wrestling to know, do I believe that or not? It's clear in the Bible, but is that what I believe or not? Am I a lover of Jesus Christ? Do I believe those things? If you're struggling with those four things this morning, that I would encourage you to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Let him be your Savior today. Become a lover of Jesus Christ. He is God. He is the creator. He is the light of the world. And he came to be your Savior. And I would encourage you this morning to trust him. For many of you sitting here, this has been no struggle at all. You struggled with those four points a long time ago. Some of you, so long a time ago, it's hard to remember that it even was a struggle. You have accepted those a long time ago. You know those to be the truth. Those were all the milk for you. So now let us go immediately into some very difficult meat. The fifth point will require a lot more thought than can be given in the time that we have remaining. It's a thought that needs to permeate all the way through every single aspect of your life. I, there's no way that I can explain this properly to you. If the Holy Spirit doesn't explain this, then really, you really need to pay attention and ask the Spirit of God to teach you this because you're not going to get it unless you unless he explains it to you. Am I a lover of Jesus Christ? Number five, I believe that Jesus Christ is the standard by which every thought, word, and deed should be judged. I believe that Jesus Christ is the standard by which every thought, word, and deed should be judged. Look at verse number 14 of John chapter number 1. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The Old Testament law, the law of Moses, was a list of do's and don'ts. What the law did, in one level, is it appealed to man's innate desire to do something to earn heaven. This is what you do and this is what you don't do. And so in the keeping of that law, it appealed to our desire to not be beholding to anybody. We kept the law. It was often tedious and complicated, but men very often fooled themselves into believing they had kept the law entirely. Remember the rich young ruler. And he says, all these things have I kept from my youth. The Apostle Paul said, I was blameless in front of the law. Um, the Pharisees, the one who was praying, he, he's looking around and he's saying, I'm sure glad I'm not like that guy. They had fooled themselves into believing that they had kept the law. 
There's nothing wrong with the law. But it was possible to misconstrue your own actions and words into believing that you were keeping it. The law was given by Moses. Remember the, the Pharisees who the law said you had to take, you were supposed to take care of your parents, but they would give it to, the, they used that law and it's Corbin, and so now they can't take care of their aged parents because they'd already given the money. So they were using the letter of the law to cover their own greed. But in their mind, they were keeping the law. They were keeping the letter of it. Now, the law was given by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Truth came by Jesus Christ. Now, what is truth? You say, oh boy. Now that could take a series of messages that would take months to, to actually fill out. But in part, it is the truth about our living. Those Pharisees who were keeping the law, they were keeping the letter of the law and had fooled themselves into believing they were keeping it. All of that could look good when you compared it with everybody else around them. When you compared it with the, the law and the letter of the law, they would say, see, we're keeping the law. But what did that look like when they compared it with Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. There was no, that's why they hated him so bad. Is because they had themselves fooled into believing, we're all right here, look, we are keeping the law. And then they come up with the Lord Jesus and all of their flaws and their, their wrongs are standing out like a sore thumb. They are being made to show, they are being shown up for who they really are. They are seeing perfection. They are seeing the true fulfillment of the law in Jesus Christ. They had believed they were keeping the law because they hadn't killed anybody. They believed that they were keeping the Ten Commandments because they hadn't actually committed adultery. But truth came by Jesus Christ. And when they were placed next to him, they were shown that they were not. Yes, they were, might have been keeping the letter of the law. But when they were placed next to him, their failures were easily shown. Now, I think you can divide that in your mind. We understand that our righteousness does not come by the keeping of the law. Correct? There's nothing we can do to earn righteousness. There's nothing we can do to get ourselves into heaven. We go to heaven because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus paid it all. But let me ask you this. Does that nullify the standard? If our righteousness, we can only get our righteousness is found in Christ, does that nullify the standard? Let me give it to you in simpler terms if you're having trouble getting your mind to wrap around that. I get in my car and I go 80 mile an hour through a residential neighborhood. The police pull me over. 
I have broken the law, correct? The fine on that, I hate to think, but at least $500, I'm guessing, would be the fine for doing 80 miles an hour through a residential neighborhood. So, I don't have the $500, but my good friend Art here comes in and pays my $500 fine. So, I couldn't afford it, he paid it. Does that now make the speed limit 80 miles an hour? The fact that he paid my wrongdoing does not change the standard on the street. It is still a residential zone. Just because Jesus Christ paid our sin debt does not change the standard of right and wrong. Can you get your brain to wrap around that? We sometimes think, okay, well, I can't be perfect, so therefore I'm just going to offer God whatever's the best I can do because that's all I can do. That's changing the standard, my friend, and that isn't acceptable. A lover of Jesus Christ says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the standard for every word, for every thought, for every deed. It's going to take a little time to sink in. Now let me give you a super stupid example. But I'm hoping that it will help you get going on it. The standard is not by what you are able to do, what seems good to you, not by what you like. I've been working in my garage a little more lately. And when I work in my garage, I have a TV set out there and a DVD player. And so I throw something in for noise to keep me working. And so somebody gave me a DVD case of old westerns. There must be 500 westerns in this thing. They're the old TV westerns. <sighs> Never has film footage been so wasted. <laughs> <laughs> These things, they are the stupidest things in the entire universe. Cisco and Poncho, the Cisco kid. Buffalo Bill Jr. is as dumb as what it sounds. There's a whole, there's 500 of them. But I'm not listening really anyway. It's just noise in the background. And so I just listen and you're like, oh, that was so stupid. But it keeps going. It makes my work look better, I'll just say <laughs> Anyway, these back in the day, if you remember those shows, always had, there was a hero of the show, okay? And that hero, I have, I've been paying enough attention to notice this. That hero in the show, whenever, all, every single time they'll get in a fist fight. Sometimes they start the fist fight. Every single time they will cut corners in right and wrong in order because it works out at the end and so it's all okay because just because they did they, they cut some corners but they it turns out all right every single episode they will say things that are a promotion of their pride a promotion of the a self-promotion now i'm not here to knock old black and white tv shows i'm not here to criticize any of that and say that's bad. I'm, I'm not, okay? What I'm trying to get you to understand is these were the people we called, they called heroes. And let me ask you, 
did they act in a manner of, that Jesus Christ would have acted in that similar situation? I'm not trying to beat up the Lone Ranger or anything like that, okay? But what I'm trying to get you to understand is, wait a second, there is a standard. And we actually like it when the good guy throws a punch on the other guy. We actually like it when, okay, the guy cuts a little corners, but it ends up okay in the end. We actually like it when he makes this really proud statement like John Wayne. Right? But wait a second. Where's the standard here? No, I'm not here to knock TV. I'm not here to knock these shows. Let me ask you this. Let's put it into real life. What that happened this week, what words, what thoughts, what events actually met up with the standard in your life this week? Just because Jesus Christ paid your debt does not allow you to go 80 miles an hour now. It didn't change the standard. If I say I am a lover of Jesus Christ, what I'm saying is he is the standard for every word, every deed, every thought. And those aren't just words. There is a standard. And that standard is expected to be met. And when we look at it, we say, oh boy. Now, let me ask you, I'm only asking you to do two things here. I'm asking you to look at the world system not individuals in the world, but the world system, and say, is this set up to the standard of Jesus Christ? And I'm asking you to look at your own life. I'm not asking you to look at anybody else's. Now, if you want to come up to me and say, Pastor Scott, you're not making the standard here, you feel free to do that. I would, I would, glad to, I would gladly have those faults pointed out to me. Very gladly. I'm, I'm dead serious. I'm just telling you right now, I'm not going to do that to you because I'm not going to get to you. Because right now, for the last week I've been wrestling with this, there's so many beams in my own eye, I'm not going to be able to get the splinters out of yours right now. We have let the standard fall to whatever we thought was acceptable, whatever we liked, whatever we were possible to do. And my friend, a lover of Jesus Christ, says he is the standard. And it won't take you more than two seconds to look at your life and say, Woe is me! I am undone. I cannot think of one place this week that I met the standard. Fortunately for all of us, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. If only truth had come by Jesus Christ, we'd all just have to fall down dead and say, I can't do it. But grace came by Jesus Christ as well. That grace is not it's okay, forget about it. I'm not that worried about it. That's not what grace is. Grace for salvation paid the debt. Grace for the standard provides the way. You have been provided in Jesus Christ, in his nature and the Holy Spirit living within, the power to live up to the standard. It can be done. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And too often we choose to not walk in the Spirit, 
and we fall flat on our face, we set our own standard, and that is a disaster. But Jesus Christ, in his grace, provided with us the means to meet the true standard. The standard was not lowered just because Christ paid your sin debt. He set the standard. And a true lover of Jesus Christ believes that Jesus Christ is the standard for every thought, word, and deed. So the question slaps us in the face this morning. Am I a lover of Jesus Christ? Let's pray.